Okay, going in five, four, three, two. I'm Heidi Berkey. And I'm Rachel Goebel. And this is the Ethical Storytelling Podcast. Gotta keep it fun. (laughs) Welcome to the Ethical Storytelling Podcast Power Dynamics Series. We have three incredibly special guests for this series who come from a diversity of backgrounds and cultures. Janelle Aldred is guest hosting these interviews, and we're grateful for her expertise and questions. Um, If you haven't already, please do go back and listen to our intro episode between Janelle and I talking about why this season in particular is so important and the thought behind this series. Today, we have the honor of talking with Kent Annan, one of the humblest white men I have ever come across. Kent is Director of Humanitarian and Disaster Leadership at Wheaton College's Humanitarian Disaster Institute, and is also the co-founder of Haiti Partners, a nonprofit focused on education in Haiti. He also serves on the board of directors of the Equitas Group, a philanthropic foundation focused on ending child exploitation in Haiti and Southeast Asia. He's also an incredible writer and the author of four books, all of which are available on Amazon. Kent, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Hello, Kent. Thank you so much for joining us on this ethical storytelling podcast. Yeah, thank you. Great to be with you. And so we are discussing power dynamics. And um, I guess we can just, we can dive straight in there. But also would love for you firstly, just to share a little bit about your own personal journey about navigating power dynamics and kind of what turned you onto this journey. Yes, my my very first work after graduating from college was working with refugees. Uh, and I lived in England and in France. I worked with refugees at that point who were coming from uh, the former Yugoslavia, Sarajevo, coming up from Sierra Leone. And so I, I came in very naive, but very quickly saw the power dynamics of people who had lost everything in their lives, uh, were needing support, and um, and also realized, oh, that could be me. I think that was the realization that took you know over months and over years that, oh, that could be me in their situation. So that was really my naive jumping into understanding power dynamics. And then since then, uh, studying in grad school and spending time in India. And then I was in Albania and Kosovo during the refugee crisis there. And then uh, most of all, was lived in Haiti for two, two and a half years, uh, where we lived out in the countryside um, with a subsistence farming family. And just the power dynamics were so extreme there and part of my work was with a development organization working on education and other issues and um so i've just it's been a big part of my life is being in these situations where the power dynamics are off and uh or are extreme uh and have also been wanting to tell stories along the way both as a writer and as uh, an advocate and as a as a person working on raising money and working in development fields so uh, I, I love that you're taking on this topic because I feel it's like it, it's been a big part of my life is navigating through this, making mistakes and finding good ways as well to to try to deal with the realities of these power dynamics. And I think it's so interesting, isn't it, to um, this is kind of like an elephant in the room when we probably talk about things like we, we're getting more into the unconscious bias space and into mm-hmm. the, the ethical space. But the power dynamics and even as we've been discussing it is such a massive massive part not just for the social impact space but for the way that we are seeing the world and understanding the world um why do you think we're not really talking about it so much 
Um, that's a good question. I think I think about it a lot, but you're right. It's not out there as a, a part of regular conversation. I mean, I, I think it probably makes everyone just a little bit uncomfortable once you start talking about power and who has power and who doesn't. Because if you start talking about that, then it leads to questions of justice. And then it starts pretty soon getting personal. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, what are, what are my responsibilities here? Uh, everything from how do I tell stories to how do I spend my personal budget? How do I give money? So, you know, I, I'd be interested in your thoughts, but to me, it's probably because if you, you can start pretty broad, but before too long, if we're conscientious, we're going to realize, oh, this has, uh, this has implications for me. And like you say, yeah, and I think that is the thing that's scary for people, isn't it? Because then all of a sudden it's how am I stewarding this thing and what should I be thinking about how I'm stewarding all that I have? So for you, what was that moment? Because you mentioned that you kind of go into it very... Um, as most people do, well-intentioned. You just want to mm -hmm. help. You just want to tell people all about what's going on. And what was the moment that kind of changed it for you from that kind of space to actually, ah, there's actually a big responsibility for me and I need to now navigate how to steward this well? Yeah, I think it would be like three steps for me probably. One is like working with refugees early on. I was just 21, 22 years old, so just seeing the world in a whole different way and, and realizing that, you know, people in vulnerable situations like that I'd never experienced before. So I think that's one. And then I went right to grad school to seminary. And so there was wonderful because then I was bringing this theoretical knowledge as well and reading theological perspectives from uh, liberation theology, womanist theology, um, just all kinds of different perspectives and challenging, you know, that the canon is just, just old white European males. Um, who are writers. So I think that helped me then to be thinking about it in a more sophisticated way that included the theory and theology. And then the third step was moving to Haiti, where I had responsibilities to communicate. And I was I ended up writing a book and I was communicating for my organization, but also the, the just the dynamics were so stark, like the power dynamics of being with a subsistence farming family and people who aren't literate. And it, it was so stark, I just felt the weight of responsibility, you know, because in ways I could write whatever I want and send stories back. But I, I felt like, oh, this is responsibility to take it well. And so then I started developing different practices and approaches and, and how do I make sure I, I steward this well? So that'd be sort of my three-step process, I think, of becoming more conscientious and trying to, trying to navigate, navigate this as well as I can. And it's interesting because I think um, another story narrative that kind of is one that grows or is growing, and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts, is kind of the white man is mm -hmm. the problem. <laughs> you yes. know, that's a, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a narrative. You know, that's, that's a story. Um, mm -hmm. How do we really work well to, to address that? Because in some senses, although in some instances that might be true, that is also another problematic dynamic that can enter in, in a problematic way in terms of how we move forward, all of us together, all of us human, um, to address these world problems. As a white man, can I ask you, um, how do you feel when people kind of confront you with that story as a reason why potentially maybe you're not the best person to tell a story? Right. Yeah, I think um, I, I just keep thinking I want to cultivate humility. And uh, again, I think one of the core of these kind of five core practices that I've articulated for doing this kind of work um, and confession is the second one. The first one is attention. Second one is confession. 
third one is respect, and the fourth one is partnering. And all these are, you know, trying to find how do we enter in this work if we're going to do it humbly. So, so to me, going in with uh, confession, wanting to develop humility, and then also very much knowing um, there are times I need to step back where maybe 25 years ago I would have been put in front. I'm glad that I'm not put in front now, you know, that yeah. there are other voices that should be heard or, you know, that this can be hard sometimes. But when I had the opportunity sometimes to speak at different conferences, I'd have um, and we had the resources and things, I'd get my Haitian colleague to come up and we'd co-present yeah. um, or what other chances I can recommend someone else to to speak or be on a panel instead of me. So so I'm I'm grateful that I'm uh, uh, alive, like as a white man to be alive <laughs> now and not 30 years ago yeah. or a hundred years ago or <laughs> 400 years ago. Cause, um, cause I think it's points me towards, um, wanting to confess and wanting to see how I can, um, be part of stepping back. When is the time to step forward? Because I can bring others along when are times to, to be humble. So it just feels like appropriately, I, I want to be humble and know that I'm always in a posture of learning um, and yes, yeah, so that's not a very systematic answer, but those are some of the, no, 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 but that's, the, the that's super helpful. Yeah. Cause mm -hmm. I think, um, for people who, cause sometimes what the pushback will be is, but I can explain it so much better or I can connect with Western audiences more because you know, that's my culture, that's my background than person from say Haiti could, um, mm -hmm. what, what is kind of your words to people who would still cling to that way of thinking? Yeah, I, th I think there can be moments where we're a bridge to a community, like there are going to be different communities that I can uh, speak into. But um, but I also think our, like the transforming encounters are often not of someone else with me, but if but of someone else with someone else. So to me, the ways I think about this are, you know, like I've mentioned, there are other places I can go with someone else so that I'm kind of stepping out of the middle. Um, and then also I've tried to think when I am speaking, it's just me who can go and speak somewhere. I'm talking about one of my books or something. Then I've tried to, and I'm sure I still make mistakes, but think about which stories I tell and how I tell them so that it's not, yeah, so I'm not the star or the hero of the story, you know, and so I'm still standing up front. So there's some inevitability in that, but I think mm -hmm. there's a way to, to make a difference in how we tell the story. And I think there's just humility that uh, each of us have different times and roles we can play, but we shouldn't ever think that our role or I should never think that my role is most important, you know, so I'm, I'm happy to disappear or support or occasionally stand up. And, um, and, and I don't know, that's, that's kind of the way I've, I've thought about it. And I know I'm still learning in this area too. Yeah. And how do we actually journey with people without judging? Because it can be very easy to look on and be like, well, they're not getting it right you know, or, or that's yeah. so problematic. How do we how do we journey well with people and not see always calling out as like a negative thing, but see the positive in calling out and being called out? How, right. how do we hold that tension? Yeah, no, I definitely w went through my self-righteous uh, stages. So I feel, <laughs> feel that I am look back with me cringing on. And I really learned from from friends and colleagues who would, would say, okay, well, you can take that approach and judge someone and be self-righteous, or you can meet them right where they are with grace and maybe help them yeah. take the next step that they're supposed to. So that's kind of the philosophy I've come to is um, uh, there are times for calling out and 
being prophetic and not trying to make friends, that's fine. But there also, it seems like there are lots of chances where uh, are there ways we can meet people where they are in grace, not compromise at all, um, but meet people with grace to try to help them take the next step, all the, all the while being open to wondering what next step I need to take. Yeah, and it's... And what are the kind of questions, because you, you deal with this in this space and, and you talk to these things, what are the kind of questions sometimes that people come to you and say, I really want to try and do this better, but X, what are some of the kind of things that you commonly hear? Hmm. Um, I think, um, I actually, I got asked this question so many times, I wrote a book basically about <laughs> it was, was um, okay, so we realize these power dynamics and they're hard and they're super complicated. Um, and we also know need. There's like that we know that there's a great need out there. And I think the two easiest responses are one to feel um, paralyzed and not do anything because it's yeah. so complex. We don't want to enter into it or almost to choose naivete and say, OK, it's kind of hard, but I'm just going to go help anyways because the people need helping. And yeah. I think both of those are, are bad alternate alternates, you know, um, that either version, either of those two choices lead us towards either harming by not caring about our neighbor or harming by caring in sort of naive uh, ways where we're going to cause harm uh, as we do it. So so to me, this third path, like in the middle, to me is like, how do we do this in a way where we enter in humbly um, with these practices of attention and confession and respect and partnering and truthing, kind of seeking the truth and make that a cycle of listening and respect for others and being shaped and disciple ourselves um, where we're not trying to change someone else's life, but we're trying to kind of partner together to be changed together. Yeah. And I think for me, that's been sort of my answer of uh, how do we find this humble way to not disengage, but also to not engage in a way that that is sort of, yeah, isn't mindful about uh, power dynamics and, and all the other and history and culture and ethnicity and everything. So so to me, that's the, the biggest answer. My other answers are sub sub answers to this, but it's like, I think there is a way we can humbly engage uh, with others and it might go slower, um, but ultimately yeah. we'll do less harm. And I think we may, actually we can do a lot of good. And how do we help donors to come along this journey? Um, because we have gotten used to doing things in much of a simplified way, a very simple mm -hmm. story that they can get immediately, that they understand, here's a need, here's how yep. you can help, here's how you can be a hero, um, and the world is now a better place. How do we also take donors on this journey of ethical storytelling? Mm-hmm. No, it's a great question. One, one uh, a colleague of mine, mine, Jamie Aiton here at Wheaton, he's um, kind of in some research, and it's early research, but some early indications that actually humbly presenting uh, our stories uh, it can actually lead to more engagement from donors and people. So this is some more research we're going to work on together, but I think it's encouraging because I think sometimes the, the natural thought is, oh, I have to present in a way that like I know all the solutions and this is going to make the biggest difference. Uh, and, but it's some, it's some preliminary research showing that uh, actually people are right now ready for humble storytelling and humbly presenting the way we can help others. So I find that research encouraging. We're going to keep leaning into that. And I think the second is um, if we're humble too and saying, you know, the, 
we're not going to invite everybody to be with us. Like maybe, you know, I'm not going to be the next world vision. I'm not going to do this, but we can be really transparent and honest in a good way with the people who are, are on board with our organization, you know, yeah. to come along. So I think it's in a sense, you know, most groups want to, and they're feeling the pressures of fundraising. But I think if we can say, okay, we're going to tell this, it's, it's as important how we tell the stories as is, uh, how we do our work. And if we get these all lined up, we're going to find the right people and we're going to find the right size to be. And uh, to me, that can take some of the pressure off. Uh, and also, I think it sets up for that kind of long-term success instead of maybe a quick building and then you find, oh, I'm, you know, how I tell stories is out of sync with with like who we want to be as a group or how we are uh, on the ground. So I think we're, I think if we can approach it and just encourage as leaders in organizations or as donors, we can say, oh, let's get lined up where we can do this together for the long term. Uh, be humble, be learning, uh, and still be bold in wanting to, to help people who need help. Um, I think that can set up a dy dynamic that will last for the long term. And ethical storytelling then isn't isn't something that gets in the way. It's actually something that's gonna, going to help um, so you're both ethical, but also so that you're, you have the right people supporting you who are going to stay with you for the long term. And that is so, I just want to touch on that point, just so, so interesting um, in that you're telling stories in a way people see it as, you can see it, either see it as a hindrance or actually see it as kind of a positive. It's actually your your superpower in a sense that your stories mm. line up exactly with what you say you're trying to do. Because sometimes it can seem like what people say they're trying to do, it doesn't quite match with right. the way they're doing it. I remember having a conversation with someone once and we were talking about picking images and she was like well you know we've got to think about diversity that checkbox exercise oh mm. and I was like well it's not really a checkbox exercise no. I, no, I think no. it's more showing the audience at that time where I was working it's showing the audience back to itself mm -hmm. so we need to show this audience all of who they are um I think with a lot of NGOs one of my big critiques is um all the people of color are being helped mm. and all the white people yes. are helping Mm -hmm. um, and it's a very that's a very unhelpful narrative because we live in a world which is not always so black and white and simple in that sense, so to mm -hmm. speak. Um, yeah. How do we, because for me, part of it is a hearts and minds thing, actually, is, mm -hmm. as you say, moving it from seeing as a hindrance or a checkbox exercise to something that people actually, it's part of the DNA of how they tell stories. How can how do we win hearts and minds in this and not make it a hindrance? Yeah. Well, first, I love how you explained all that. It's exactly right, and that's a great great example. Because if we do see these as yeah check box checks boxes and not who we are and who we're becoming, then then yeah we're we're getting misaligned and we're also missing out on the great opportunity I think for for growth and learning from each other. So, um, so how do we how do we do it? I think it is just it's thinking about who's on the board of your organization, who are your consultants, who are you listening to, what's the process that might go slower, but to make sure that different voices are involved. Um, how, how do I, this is how I would think too, like how is every story we're telling in printed piece, like I mentioned, how is it reinforcing the work? Because I'm going to show it to my colleagues who are working really hard on the ground. So I think if we can think about it in this really integrated way, um, and and see it as a, as our strength. Um, then it gets us on the right path. And also I think uh, another thing that can take some pressure off is 
then we can think about we're not trying to mass market or get to the you know, like the the all the most donors that we can get to, but how do we get to the right donors that want to stick with us? You know, so then if you think okay, our work is in line with our storytelling and that's going to attract the right people who want to support us and be with us for the long term, then it's all it's all getting aligned in a way that um, that is sustainable and it's also just going to make give you more joy and, and energy for the work that you have to grind on day by day. Like, I think that's actually a really exciting prospect. Um, but some people find that a very nerve wracking prospect. Oh, so we're not trying to grow. We're just trying to get to the right people. And, you know, right. how do we because I think that's actually um, there's a book um, that my dad told me about. It's about a book about pastors. And it says, you know, some people are 50 people church pastors. Some people mm-hmm. are 5,000, some people are 500. And, and literally they will stay around that number. It might grow or shrink, but that's where they'll end up kind of landing because that's their capacity. Is there something for us to really think about what is sustainably our capacity? Yeah, I think that's right. I, I have one friend who works with a lot of different NGOs in the US and he sort of talks about that right now there's a bit of a dynamic. I haven't studied this yet, but a dynamic that's a bit of a Walmartization in the NGO yeah world where you're getting the really big ones that can do at scale things that small ones never can do but there's also room for a lot of niche you know almost think of uh of uh more specialized organizations and i I think that i think if we're okay with that and you know often wanting to grow but grow in the right way in a way that's sustainable that that can take some of the pressure off and say what what is the right size for me and uh okay i want to tell more along just as an example like i want people who want to be long form stories not just social media um, captions, you know, again, yeah. you know, there's always going to be like a combination of both, but it's like, like we're a long form kind of an organization that really digs in and does that. Like, I think, I think there's room to find that and you might not, you're not going to grow to be a $2 billion organization, you know, but can you find uh, people to be a $2 million a year organization? I think there is room for that. So, so I think that making sure your values are driving it and not just numbers um, sort of set us up in the right way. Uh, and it, it will ripple through. I really think it reinforces every part of the work from the board to the donors to the work on the ground. And I think that's that kind of alignment is where you want to be. And I think that can can be a little bit nerve wracking, but ho- hopefully that's also sort of uh, freeing, you know, mm. for whoever is hearing this, whoever's doing that kind of work say, oh, we want to find the right size to be who we are and and with our integrity and what our calling is. Um, that, that we, we do that and we're going to work really hard and be the very best at that that we can be. And, uh, and that if we do that well, then we should find the right, the right group of people to do it with. Because chasing everybody is a surefire race to the bottom is my personal yeah. feeling. Yeah, no, ab- no, absolutely. And then it's going to, I think it will just lead to compromises usually that you're not, you're not happy with yourself about as well. And so for people who are sitting in teams um, where they think, you know, okay, we're telling stories and I'm not really quite comfortable with this like I think there's something that's off I feel like we are not using our power well um how would you encourage someone sitting in that space within a team where they may not have power in that team or in mm-hmm. that space to make some of the changes they want to yeah that's a good question I think um one would be that's a sort of an easy one would be okay how do the people we're telling stories about feel about how we're telling these stories and yeah. say, hey, we need to be, uh, so we talk about, you know, any group is going to talk about accountability, whether it's to donors or to some, you know, to some other group. And so I, I think a, a way, especially if you're not the decision maker saying, hey, we talk about accountability in all these ways. How can we 
introduce an accountability to our storytelling. It seems to me the, the low-hanging fruit would be, can we share these stories um, with the people we're telling the stories about? And if everyone's and then, horrified. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or if all of you say, no, let's not do that. Well, that's an indicator. That, <laughs> that's <laughs> maybe something. something is out of whack. You know? so, so I think that's, um, that's one of the best ones. And then I think it could also be bringing in other people. I mean, you mentioned that you do this with some NGOs and some some version, but it seems like there also would be other people who are cons consultants or other journalists or their friends. So they work in communications who could also, you know, sort of do a, a sort of audit, like a communications or storytelling audit. It seems like that that's something that could be done where people are kind of pulling out and you ask someone to say, hey, read this with a really critical eye and, and let us know what's happening. And then and then I think I think kind of what we've been talking about a little bit here is Whenever you do this kind of thing, you know you can go in with just a critique, but I think it tend, tends to work better if you can go in with how this is going to benefit a group. So if you say, oh, here's the thing, here's how we want accountability, and if we get all this aligned, it's going to energize the people we're working with. It's going to energize the program people who tend the usually in NGOs, the program people are sensitive to this too. Sometimes yeah. they don't like how the communications departments write about the work. And so, so it's like the, the benefit is let's all get aligned and it's just going to unleash uh, more trust and more collaboration. And so I think you'd, you'd want to insert it to me, insert accountability, but then also very much be thinking about uh, this deeper benefit that you can achieve together. And um, it's been so interesting talking about everything that we've been talking about. And I think that's great in terms of helping people to get the low hanging fruit. Like, but what would you say is the biggest power dynamics myth? Hmm. Um, biggest that we miss that that is there that we don't see or aren't paying attention to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that is a good question. Um, I... It probably doesn't get talked about much is the power dynamic of how much power donors have, even at where they would think maybe they're just participating in there. They aren't thinking of it consciously, but the amount of power that a donor has over both the organization they give to as well as to the people who are ultimately being served, you know, and just the way that ripples through. And if, if donors can say, oh, we want to be humble and learners and, and uh, hear stories the right way and we don't mind having uh, nuance where it's not just like I give $50 and someone's life has changed. Um, you know, that I, I think that that's probably one that, that would be one that's people kind of know, but is hard to address because, uh, the nonprofits are vulnerable to people not giving. So yeah, that might be the one that we, that, that, yes, that, that's that good. is more complex. Yeah. That is more complex. The helping is more complex than we want it to be in your donation isn't every time going to lead to a fail-proof change in someone's life? And are you okay with being on, everyone being honest about that? And that's actually really interesting because it kind of comes, cycles it back to kind of the elephant in the room, which is if we don't tell stories people can connect with, they won't give. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's yep. kind of the, the the big elephant in the room. So yes, you're you're totally right. And I and you know that hadn't even really kind of really crossed my mind in a big way before you mentioned it. Is just that. Yes, like the organization is beholding itself to a standard they think the people who are giving need to have reached in their minds from what they're telling them. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. So true. 
And then, so Dio, how, can can we and is, is failure okay to be part of this? And how improvement happens? And and uh, you know, yeah, I, I think all these other complications. But I think that that is this is one of the big ones for sure. No, that's amazing. Well, thank you so much. This has been such an interesting um, conversation to hear about power dynamics from your point of view. And and I really, um, you know, have enjoyed listening to you. And I think the thing that's definitely coming through as with a few of these podcasts is just the humility that people have in in just wanting just to do it all better. And I think that is probably the thing that will change it for everyone if, if people approach it with that attitude. Yeah, and thanks. Thanks for leading these conversations and, and for all the insight you bring to this. Really grateful and look forward to hearing the other podcasts you're doing with other people as well. No, amazing. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks for taking time to listen and explore what it means to ethically tell stories with us. Make sure to visit ethicalstorytelling.com for more practical resources on ethical storytelling including blog posts, new podcasts, and upcoming webinars. Please tell your friends about ethical storytelling. It's small and a labor of love, and we all do this because we want to see change. So help us spread the word with your family and friends. Before we say goodbye, we'd love to thank everyone that helped on the show this week. You all, the listeners, for tuning in. Kyle Hara for editing each episode. Lauren Ellis for web support. And music by Brooke for free. We'll see you next week.